individual on that line. I mean, Miles Wood was great. Bastion looked really good too. And obviously Mikey McLeod, you know, he came up with two goals. Uh, they're not winning that game without the fourth line. And so, yeah, I think that's probably a good starting point right there. I was like, I, I was with Danico, like for the first like bit, like just before the game started, even he was like, why are you taking Quoken in off of that line? They've been so good, but like, that they dominated, they dominated the whole game. Every time they were on the ice, they were making something happen. And you know, Quokin made an excellent play, as you pointed out, Alex, on Twitter, to lead to that Miles Wood buzzer beater goal. Yeah. But how do you, like, how do you put him back on that line now? I th- like, I think you once again, I, I think he's found something again. Yeah, I mean, I don't. You can't break that line up after today. I mean, if. You know, I guess it like we we didn't think the lines were going to be that much different today, but then we found out Kyle Palmieri was on the COVID list. So you never know. Maybe they do look different on Tuesday if something happens. But yeah, I mean, if if you got the same players available against the Penguins on Tuesday night, I mean, you got to go right back to Miles Wood, McLeod, and Bastion because it, just like every shift they were out there, it just seemed like they were they work hard. They're in on the forecheck. Uh, they just make things happen. And you know, anytime anytime something good. It happens it looked like it was that line that was creating it so yeah I, I don't see any reason for rough to break up that line moving forward at least for the foreseeable future yeah i agree with that i i don't think you need to be breaking up this line i mean the, the speed element alone with with mcleod and and uh, miles wood especially i mean just fast up the middle like look at that first goal 20 seconds um pk suban with a great read uh, McLeod splits the D, boom, goal. And these guys were all over the ice the whole night. I mean, this this fourth line, this is the only reason they won this game was this fourth line. They just were outworking everybody. Miles Wood takes the hit, sets up the McLeod, second McLeod goal, makes a play. And then Wood himself, like you and I were talking about it, Jake. I mean, I put it on Twitter. Like, you, you don't, this is the reason why you don't give up on plays and pucks. You play to the whistle, play to the final buzzer, and it leads to a goal. Yeah, absolutely. And I think, you know, past Devils teams, they would have probably just given up on the play or given up, like, in the last, like, couple seconds of a period. But, like, you know, Miles Wood takes a lot of flack. You see it on social media. And, Jim, you and I were talking about it with, like, the fans, some of the fans in this fan base of this team. It, it, gets, it, gets, very, it gets very annoying. Like, somebody – I think I called somebody out on Twitter during the middle of the game. He was saying, like, oh, Zaka sucks. Severson sucks. So I commented back, and I said, get out there then. Let's see what you can do. And then he, he replied back with, no, nah, I retired two decades ago. And I'm just saying, yeah, that's what I thought. Somebody called, <laughs> yeah. somebody called you out in the night. You got nothing to back up what you said. And, you know, I, mean, I understand what he was saying about Severson. Like, you know, there's sometimes in the defensive zone where he kind of just – he could tie up a guy behind the net or in front of the net, and he just kind of coasts into the play a little bit. Yeah, I get it, but you know, most I mean, off- most offensive defensemen in the NHL are not really that physical of a presence when it comes to tying guys up in front of the net. That's more of a like a defensive defenseman's guy or a two-way defenseman. But Damon Severson's known for his offensive like side of the things, but. Miles Wood again, like everybody chirps the guy, and I mean, I, I I've done it too. Yeah, I mean, I, I do it as well. Well, I'm I saw gonna... someone on Twitter was like, "We're gonna probably have to delete a lot of tweets about Miles Wood from the past." So because like, you know, Amanda Amanda Stein even like 
somebody commented and just said wood on a tweet. And yeah, I saw she that. Bumped, she bumped it to make the guy look like a fool. And it's just like, like, even she's done taking the crap that people are saying about the players on the team. And it's like, you know what? Like, maybe looking back on it, like, you know, John Hines was hired here whenever it was, 2015. And, you know, they wanted to get younger and all that kind of stuff. But maybe... He just wasn't giving – he liked his veterans, and maybe he just wasn't giving these kids a chance to succeed. Like, you're seeing now, like, even Bastion and McLeod, and even Wood. Like, Wood had basically – he had 19 goals, so we'll say 20 his first year in the NHL, and then he took a massive dip. And then now you're seeing, okay, a coach is giving him a chance again. He's giving these kids a chance again, and they're succeeding. Like, you know, Jim – you and I were talking about it, and Alex, I think you and I talked about it a little bit, is that no matter – you want – you want you cheer for your team to win, and we all cheer for the Devils to win, but it's not – even if they lose, it's not really about the win or the loss watching the team this year. It's about seeing the progression that these kids have made under Lindy Ruff as a coach and the coaching staff. Like, you know, besides Nazardine and maybe the penalty kills and the special <laughs> teams, we'll get to that. Yeah. But – I mean – I mean, look, um, not to cut you off there, but I was just talking with somebody before um, before we hopped on here, and we were saying to each other, we're like, you know, yesterday, for instance, yeah, you lost. Ah, it was a shootout, but it was a win because they battled back, and they right. got a point out of it, and they showed heart. Maybe in years past, they would have just packed it in and just been like, all right, whatever, another loss, we'll fi- figure it out tomorrow. But they fought back. You know, Quokin and got the goal. You know, it was ugly. But they don't say how, they say how many, and they tie the game, and shootout's a shootout. Anything can happen. And, you know, the big thing for me was when Maltsev, when I saw Maltsev was in the lineup today, I said, all right, well, we know why he's probably in, you know, because if this game goes to a shootout, he may go, he may be, get his number called. Yeah, because he had that nice goal years ago against the Rangers in the preseason, right? And, yeah. You know, it's, and he's a big guy. Like, he, like, and I know we want to talk about the fourth line, which, I mean, I guess this kind of ties into it a little bit because technically, you know, when this team gets healthy, he could see time on the third or fourth line because, you know, I thought he earned another game today. Boakvist, maybe, I don't know. I still got to see a little bit more from him. I, th- I think Boakvist is more of a natural center. That's yeah. the problem. Yeah, that's a, that is. I, I agree with that. Yeah, same here. Malt- I don't think I don't think he's a winger. I think he's a natural center, and you got to move Sharon Govich back to the wing. Yeah, and sh- I thought Sharon Govich had a hell of a game today. He was skating, and you know what? Maybe you know, like Alex, you've pointed it out too. Like he struggled a bit the last couple games, but I thought he really played well today. He's getting his scoring chances. Like if if he could just hit the net on half the shots, he misses the net. Like he'd probably have five or six goals by now. Yeah, I, I think if – I mean, he was with uh, – I think he was with Maltsev and Gusev for most of the game today, even though it didn't say so in, like, the pregame warm-ups. But I, I think that's where most of his shifts came. And uh, that line – I thought even Gusev looked pretty good today. But, yeah, I mean, Sharon Govich, I agree. I thought today was uh, one of his better games over the last, like, three or four games. And uh, he looked active offensively. He had a couple chances on the penalty kill, if I remember right, too. So I thought he looked really good today at center. Um, I'd probably, I mean, I don't think that Ruff has too many options if Paul Mary and Zajac are going to miss some time with COVID here. So, you know, I think these guys are probably going to keep playing where they are for the time being. But uh, yeah, I mean, I thought 
you know, Sharon Govich looked good. Maltsev, you know, we should probably get into him a little more because Lindy Ruff was throwing him out there in the last, you know, whatever, two, three minutes uh, of the game to defend the lead. And he had a crazy shift for what, maybe like 34 sec- 30 to 40 seconds there at the end when uh, they're trying to score the empty net goal. And he just, you know, they, the Sabres couldn't get anything started when he was out there. And I think that says a lot about him. As a player, that yeah. Ruff was able to trust him in that kind of situation. Yeah, I agree 100%. I, I mean, agreed. We got to talk about him. But, like, fourth line for a minute. I mean, these guys remind me of, like, uh, you know, the, the analogies there, m- maybe more of the 2012 fourth line with Carter, Bernier, and um, Giotta. But, I mean, the way they're playing fast physical hockey, I mean, you could make arguments similar to what Crash Line did in 95. I mean, you know, these, these guys are banging – people you know making life difficult out there but they can score and they're finesse and they can score some goals and that's what you want that's what the fourth line is these days you saw it with boston st louis big physical guys that are fast and can score goals and the devils have probably found something with these guys because and look ideally when you drafted mcleod you didn't think he was going to be a fourth line center but he's found his role with bastion and you know he got wood there you got three knuckleheads on the line they're gonna figure it out (laughs) yeah yeah, I, I mean, it's a, it just goes to show you, and I think, I think Dano pointed it out in the middle of the game, or even though I think it could have been warmups, that, um, you know, the Devils' prospect system is is a lot deeper now, and you you, you can bring up these guys like the Maltsevs and stuff, and you know, you're not, you're still not hurting yourself either way because you know, during these games that all these kids. They're going to play like it's their last shift in the NHL because they want to keep getting ice time and they want to keep a spot locked up. And they're showcasing even not only for this year, but for next year's team as well. So, I mean, it's definitely a step in the right direction. You you want to see this. And I know it's Buffalo, but That's I a- mean, the, devil, the Devils have showed today and yesterday that, you know, maybe they've started to find their groove putting the puck in the net. Because, I mean, I know yesterday it took them a while to get their first goal, but um they're showing now that they're they're having no trouble scoring yeah Yeah, i would agree with that yeah go ahead yeah i agree with that for sure so alex what do you you wanted to talk about malsev for a minute or just or do you want to get to the first line now uh yeah i mean we could talk about malsev quickly because it's really like before that last couple minutes you know he looked fine the rest of the game, but like you really notice him in the last couple of minutes. And I, I mean, I pretty much said what I think about, you know, him at that point, he definitely deserves another game. And he was responsible defensively at the end, responsibly defensively enough at, uh, throughout the game to get some minutes at the end. So yeah, it was just an impressive performance. Uh, but yeah, we definitely got to talk about that top line because after the fourth line, uh, I'm not really sure there's a line that's playing better for the devils. You could even probably argue that the first line is just, they haven't scored as much as the fourth line right now, but they're probably generating more chances. And just the skill that, you know, that's there with Jesper Bratt now back in the fold and uh, Jack Hughes and Andreas Janssen. I mean, they've looked really, really good since Lindy Ruff put them together. What was it? I think the first time against uh, the Flyers. Flyers. Yeah. Flyers, Flyers, Thursday Flyers. Because we were all saying yesterday before the game was like, right. Yeah, yeah. That top line. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, we should definitely talk about them because they've been just so much fun to watch. Very skilled, very skilled line. Um, Johnson playing with uh, Bratton and Hughes. I mean, I think they're making each other better. 
Um, and like I told Jake, I was texting him. I said, you know, the Devils have two lines now. And, you know, that's something that you haven't had in a while. Um, they got two lines. And when everybody comes back, they may actually have, like, really good depth. Like, with four – they could really roll four lines. But, I mean, the two lines really today, I mean, again, the Hughes line with Johnson, I mean, he got and scored another goal today. Um, you know, two and two games, that's good. He's starting to figure it out. Brat, you know, he's looking better each game after coming back from COVID. Uh, no, well, not COVID, but coming back from quarantine and, and getting his legs. And Hughes is, you know, Zach Hughes is the most improved player in the National Hockey League this year. And, you know, we've been touting that for a while now. And they look really good today, and they generate a lot of chances. Yeah, I, I, I agree. I think um, – I don't think now, like, you know, maybe halfway through the season if they don't – if they start to get cold or something, you split them up. But I think you can tell um, Andreas Janssen has definitely found his game playing next to Jack Hughes. And, I mean, that that's also an example of um, maybe going back to his days with Toronto, like, you know, whether it was Babcock or Sheldon Keith, like, he would put – Andreas Janssen on the third line because they had so much depth, but he wouldn't do anything. But then as soon as you put him back with Matthews or Tavares, he was one of the best players on the ice. But I mean, that's just goes to show that, you know, the great players make the uh, other players better and whatnot. And I think you have to, even when Nico comes back, you have to keep Andreas Janssen in the top six, at least for the time being, especially even with just stay with Jack Hughes because they're clicking right now on all cylinders. Even if they're not scoring, they're making things happen. Yeah. And Janssen has a bit of a feisty edge to him where, you know, he's not afraid to go into the corners and clock, right? And set up Hughes and Brat and whoever else is playing on that line. But I don't, I think when, yeah, I think when Nico comes back, they're going to have to put Paul Mary with him just to see him get going. If he can't get going with him then, 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 then he's just snake bitten. But yeah, I think that first line is definitely, besides the fourth line, has been their best line the last two or three games. And I think they've got, I think they've found something here with two lines and they just need to keep it going and see how much, see how long they can keep it rolling. Yeah. I mean, there was one shift in the third period where the first line was out there. I, it was just before, I think, Buffalo pulled for the extra attacker. And Severson, I think, hit the crossbar uh, towards the end. And that was when the Hughes line was out there. And they just kind of had like a minute, two-minute shift in the Buffalo defensive zone. And you're just like, this is this is absolutely insane. I mean, they're, they're driving play here. And there's nothing that Buffalo could do. I mean, the Devils just had the puck the entire time. Those three guys were on the ice. And they even went for like line changes. And Boquist came out there, too. And it was just crazy. So... You know, after that fourth line, yeah, I mean, you got two lines there that you're probably going to have to stick, you know, keep them together moving forward because you got some good things going there. Hey, guys, how do we feel about um, the fourth line being labeled the BMW line? Uh, who was saying that uh, to me the other day? There was, was, uh, there's, yeah. there's that one or there's the uh, – I've seen one where they were calling them the uh, M&M guys. The, I like the M&M guys. That's a good one. I like the M&M one too. Yeah, I like BMW. I think it was my friend uh, at the Hockey Writers, Jack, was telling me he wants to call it uh, – he writes about the Devils some, uh, from time to time too. He was saying he wants it to be called the BMW line, which, you know, 
the ultimate driving machine. I mean, that that's kind of like the the, the best logo or slogan for that fourth line. So absolutely, yeah, that's that's not a bad nickname either. No, no. I think you you could call them the M M&M and M guys or the BMW line. I mean, I don't think. I don't think anybody's going to complain about it either one. Everybody likes a nice BMW. <laughs> yeah, so. there you Absolutely. go. Um, we wanted to talk, I think, about um, special teams again. or Yeah, yeah let's, let's get into that. Yeah, I do want to talk let's, about Let's that just talk about it. Before we get into the special teams, in regards to special teams, because he does play a factor in this the last two games, can we just, like – acknowledge how bad Tony Corrente is. You mean Chris Rooney? Yes. Yeah. Well, I texted – I remember I texted you during his game in the second period that the Devils got away with a cross-check behind the Sabres net in the offensive zone that could have ended very badly. And the Sabres got away with a frigging high stick on Andreas Janssen and two tripping calls. Yeah, I think Janssen got elbowed in the face there at Middlestat toward the end. They got away. It's just, I've never seen the face-off violation thing called in an NHL game before. I feel like that rarely happens. Um, It doesn't. Yeah, that was just a weird one. And it bit the Devils because the Sabres scored on the following power play. So, yeah, I don't know. The officiating, it's not just Chris Rooney, though. I think that the officiating... I was watching the Rangers-Penguins game last night, too, and there was some questionable calls in that game. The officiating just has not been great around the league to begin this season, and Devils have been on the wrong side of some pretty bad calls themselves. But <clears throat> yeah. Ty Smith slash... Yeah, whatever that was. I don't Even Lindy Ruff said after that uh, in his post game that he's still trying to figure out where Ty Smith got a penalty. So, yeah. Damon Severson even called it the referees after he asked. Yeah, he's like, I he he's like, did they just pick a player or something like that and call the penalty? So, yeah, I don't know. The the officiating has not been great. That's for sure. Um, what do you? I I didn't think the like I know Buffalo scored two power play goals today, but I think before those two power play goals were scored, I don't think the penalty kill did that bad of a job. But there is definitely a lot of work that needs to be done. Yeah, you can um, you can tell you can tell on the penalty kill though, like that they miss they miss having Zajac on the penalty kill and stuff like that. And, and I'm gonna and, say know, guy, I'm gonna say guy. Sorry again to cut you off. I'm gonna say guy Andy Green. That would, that's a big loss too. Yeah, and you know, Jim, you and I were talking about this in the middle of the game that um, going into the off season this year. There's a guy that was traded by this team in February for Nolan Foote who's going to be a free agent again. And if he's not re-signed by Tampa Bay, uh, when he was traded, Tom Fitzgerald said that if he hits free agency again, we're going to be very aggressive in our pursuit of bringing him back. And that's Blake Coleman. And he did a phenomenal job in the penalty kill. But, and I mean, I, I don't think any Devils fan would complain about bringing Coleman back. But anyway, I think – there's a lot of work that needs to be done with this penalty kill. I think it's something they really need to like spend like a good full practice. Maybe not a full practice, but at least a quarter or at least maybe half of a practice working on the penalty kill and their specialty. Because even the power play, I'm finding on this power play that they're trying to make the perfect cute play instead of maybe I understand you don't want to sh- you don't shoot the puck if there's no shooting lane. Unless you're just going for it to hit off somebody's body and it goes into the net or to flash you. But I think they got to stop trying to be cute. And 
I think I don't know how many times I watched the I've watched the Devils this season and even last season where Nikita Gusev gets in a friggin' chance on the power play or in the offensive zone and he's always trying to pass the puck and I'm screaming at the TV, can you shoot the puck, man? Like and you know like and it's the defensemen know it's coming. They know he's going to pass the puck because I, I don't think I ever see Gusev very rarely when he gets an offensive scoring chance where he has the ability to shoot the puck on the power play. He shoots it. He passes it every time. He looks for that seam pass like, between the hash marks and the, and, the goal, and the net to try and pass across to Hughes on the other side or whoever's over there. And he's just got – sometimes you just got to be selfish and shoot the puck. They're they're getting too cute. They got they got to fix something. Yeah, well, I think the the puck movement needs to be better on the power play. There's just sometimes it's a little reminiscent of what was kind of plaguing them the last couple of seasons where they're just not moving the puck well enough. And you just like too much standing around, and you know they're trying to. You're not going to be able to get quality scoring chances on the power play. You're not moving the puck effectively and kind of getting the opposing team's penalty kill off balance, like. That's what they did well when Ty Smith scored his power play goal yesterday. They kind of they moved the puck really well, and the Sabres' penalty kill kind of got off balance. They they need to do a better job of that, and I think that will help them get going. Uh, as far as the penalty kill, it, yeah, I didn't think they were that bad today. Um, still had some trouble with like guys like Rasmus versus the line and is just parked in front of the net on the the Buffalo power play, and they still had some trouble kind of clearing the front of the net, which they did against the Flyers as well. Van Reems Van had a couple of easy tip-ins uh, when uh, the Devils played the Flyers. So there's stuff they need to work on, but I think they've also gotten a little better on the penalty kill over the last few games. I think there's some slight improvement. But yeah, I agree. There's definitely still work that needs to be done. Absolutely. I think there's a guy, there's a, there's a guy sitting in the, been sitting in the press box since the first game of the season that last time I checked, he's pretty good at running the power play on the defense. But I mean... I'm not the coach, right? So maybe Matt Tennyson, they see Matt Tennyson's better off than Will Butcher. I don't see it, but, you know, that's a that's a topic for here later in this podcast because there's something else I want to get to on here. Yeah. Um, let me just let me just chime in on the power play. I agree with both of you, what you guys are saying. They definitely need more puck movement. And it, and, it, and you got to sometimes take the shot and, and just give them a different look, like something different. And it, it's – if you can open up space for the shooting lane, that's what you want to do. I mean, you spread them out a little bit, and if they give you a lane, take the shot. Like, there's no reason to be making a pass if the shooting lane's there because if you can get it a rebound and somebody's standing in front, the puck's going to go in the net. Um, as far as the PK goes, I think there's a couple of things they could clean up, probably box a little bit better, maybe not – I don't want to say be too – like be more aggressive, but – maybe be a little bit more aggressive, especially on the puck, just attack it a little bit more. Because I, I noticed, like, when they're playing other teams, that's what they'll do on the devil power play. They'll try to attack it. Um, but they just got to fix some things there. Uh, it, it's going to plague them. It's plaguing them right now. Um, I thought it was better, but, again, two power play goals. I mean, you're not going to go – you're not going to give a team over, you know, in this league now where they're calling everything. But if you can limit it to one power play goal – that could be the difference in the game. Yeah, for sure. And if you look at the the box score today, I mean, you know, the the Devils outscored the Sabres four one at even strength. So like, if they could get their penalty kill in order, I mean, if they're doing that, and they've had control of play at five on five for the most part. So like, if 
the Devils can tighten up some things on the penalty kill and stop allowing so many goals. I mean, they're playing well enough at five on five, or they should be able to get some some nice wins here in the next. Uh, you know, how many? What do they got? Four games this week. So, um, yeah, I mean, they they gotta. There's definitely work that needs to be done on both the power play and the penalty kill, and you know, they gotta get it in order soon. Yeah. Um. Well, I, I agree because I'm I'm gonna tell you right now, and you know, Jim and I have talked about this. Um, Pittsburgh's not. I don't think Pittsburgh is like they're gonna. Pittsburgh's gonna fight for a playoff spot this year. I don't think it's a foregone conclusion that the Penguins are gonna make the playoffs. They just look. They look very, very bad. Like they beat the Rangers on like a spin around slot shot, weak goal on Gregoria though, and then yeah. Crosby scored. But like they have not looked good. But at the same time, you got to respect that power play with, you know, Gensel, Zucker, Malkin, Latang, Crosby, like the guys that they got, Ross, like you think the penalty kill has been bad now. You might want to stay out of the box Tuesday and Thursday night because as bad as Malkin has even been this year, we all know how dangerous that team is when they get the man advantage. And you're going to want to stay out of the box against Pittsburgh. Or they're, they will oh, burn you. It's just it, – it's just that simple. A hundred percent. I couldn't. I couldn't agree more with that. There's certain teams you know that have weapons, and you need to stay out of the box. Pittsburgh is one of them, and it. Washington, Washington Boston. Boston. No, the Devils did a decent job against Boston, but because both games were close. I mean, Blackwood played out of his mind. Um, but you know, Washington, Pittsburgh. Um, the Rangers' power play is even pretty lethal as well. Rangers, I mean, if they were playing, if they were playing the um, every like everybody this year, you know, Tampa, Dallas, Montreal, Toronto, like the list goes on. But like right now in their own division, Philly's got a good power play. Um, Boston, Washington, you know, Pittsburgh, you know, even Buffalo, as we've seen, they got a decent power play. So you got to stay out of the box. Yeah, they they got they got to tighten up. They got some things to tighten up on. Um, I think next, um, let's talk about before we get into Ty Smith. Let's talk about the COVID uh, woes of this team, like and what's going on here. Because, like, I know Vatnin was added to the Vatnin was added to the COVID list, and we'll get into that here soon. But. What is going on with the COVID here with the Devils players? Like you're seeing other teams around the league are postponing practices and shutting down their facilities. And I think there was, I forget, was it Dallas maybe that had the games postponed right until like the middle of, like they just started not long ago. Yeah, it was Dallas. Yeah, it was Dallas. Yeah, and then Carolina followed, now Vegas. Um, Chicago's got a bunch of players on their COVID list as well. Yeah. It's just, like is it is it it's not gonna do you guys think it's gonna get to the point again where the NHL is gonna just say you know what we're shutting it down and we're doing the playoff bubble thing? No, again? I doubt it. No, they're gonna they're gonna go through. They're gonna do it. This is this is what we expected. I mean, this is this is not. I mean, I didn't I didn't expect like nobody was gonna be on this list. I just figured you know this is the times we're in and we've seen it in other sports and we just go from there. I mean, look, the Devils. If you really think about it. Three guys on the COVID list are on the list. The other three guys 
two of which are waiting quarantine and going through the protocol to join the team. Yeah. When Dal and Vatanen and Carrick went home to go see his wife give birth. Yeah. So, I mean, if you look at it, yeah, and Black, and, and you think about it, it's like, all right, well, if you look at it, it's really Blackwood, Zajac, and um, Paul Mary. Yeah, the concern I yeah. have, though, is that, you know, Zajac and Paul Mary were just, Paul Mary just played yesterday, and Zajac right. played on Thursday. Just, I, I mean, I don't know if it's going to get to the situation where, like, it'll be like the Hurricanes where the Devils are going to have to pause all activities and just shut down for, like, a week or so. And they'll end up having to reschedule games. I mean, that's a possibility for any team in the league this season. I think it's just something to watch because, you know, I mean, with Palmieri and Zajac playing, assuming they tested positive, then, you know, that that means they could have potentially, you know, exposed their teammates. Uh, maybe well, especially Palmieri. He's made the road trip. Right. Yeah, that's when he was put on the COVID list today. That's why I was like, oh, this is a little bit concerning. But um maybe it's a contact tracing thing too i don't know well you know that's all we know is when they go on the covid list we don't know if someone says positive or not we'll just you you don't get an idea until like it, it really depends on how long someone's on the covid list like obviously blackwood has covid because he's been on the list for about two weeks now so uh we'll see if zajac yeah. and palmer have extended stays on the covid list and that you know that probably means they have covid and they'll be missing a couple weeks of games here the, the question I have in regards to, like, I know I got a couple um, in regards to this. Um, first, regarding, like, the players getting COVID, aren't they supposed to be, like, if they're, if they're not traveling, they're at their own home or they're in a hotel room or whatever, whoever they live with, and they're not going – or room with, and they're not going anywhere. So, are they getting the COVID as soon as – they travel into another one of these cities to play a game air and they're just getting it like, you know, entering the hotel or something like that. Cause I don't think any team is going through an air. No, I mean, I'm pretty sure. I'm pretty sure they're all traveling by bus. Well, so it's, or did you have COVID in training camp when you were coming from say Blackwood from Thunder Bay where he's from and you know, you're getting, you had COVID, but you weren't showing symptoms. Well, they right all away. quarantined when they came because, in. Yeah, so, so wherever it, they were coming from, they all quarantined. Yeah, so it wasn't when they came from, you know, wherever they were living before training camp. Yeah. Now Zajax is weird because he played the night and then the next. Those day, were home games too, list, so it's so not like he wasn't traveling. Yeah. So it was. No, so it was somebody. I don't think anybody in the staff in the arena would have had COVID because. You know, I don't think the team would allow them into the building. But it, it really makes you wonder, you know, they're playing against these teams in the NHL, and is there a guy on the other team that's got COVID that doesn't know it yet, and, you know, he picked up on it, or he was just showing some small symptoms, and they put him on it to be safe. Like, Palmieri was put on it today, which just it's still – I'm still somewhat confused by it because he played yesterday – and I thought he played a better game than, you know, maybe he has the beginning of the year. And they showed his stats in the pregame, like, and all of it adds up to, like, his first eight games of the season last year. He just hasn't scored yet. Like, he had three goals in eight games last year, and then, but he hasn't scored yet. But then all of a sudden he's put on COVID today, and I'm just thinking, like, I think I was talking to Alex about this, Jim, and, like, 
he didn't think so, but like I'm still torn on it. Are teams gonna say a player is put on the COVID protocol list right now? Some of them, like for example, Paul Mary, so they don't have to announce that he was healthy no. scratched or no. I, like I, I, I don't think they will. No, because because. No, because connected. Yeah, I don't think that would be yesterday. weird if they were putting people on yeah. the COVID list to like say they were instead of saying they were healthy scratches. Like, I'm sure whether Palmieri tested positive or just out of an abundance of caution because he came in contact with someone who had COVID. You know, I'm sure that's legit why he's on the COVID list. I, I think there isn't there like a bunch of parameters too to be on the COVID. Yeah, list? it's like not that you chasing like you had like you tested positive. Um. You were maybe been in contact quarantining with too, like Vatanen, so yeah, like and was um yeah, like they kind of ran into Vatanen at the gym or something in the arena or or something like that. Well, Vatanen really isn't supposed to be anywhere outside. Yeah, of the he's place just that doing he's his. Yeah, he's just doing his seven day quarantine because he got his work visa from Finland, so he doesn't have COVID. He's just doing quarantine because that's the rule, you know, that's in place. So like, so it so it sort of does raise a little bit of questions. Of how Zajac and Paul Mary yeah, got I mean, COVID here? Well, the, yeah, the, this you know, yeah, go we're ahead. not doctors, obviously. Um, but like, this disease is just it's easily con- it's highly transmissible. So like, you know, you don't you you may think you're doing all the right protocols and stuff, but you never know. So like. And we don't even know if they tested positive. I mean, yeah. Zajac could come off the COVID list tomorrow, maybe, and we'd be like, oh, all right, so maybe it was just a contact tracing thing. And same if Paul Mary maybe comes off the list later this week. You know, it could be like, oh, well, he didn't have COVID. They were just doing that out of abundance of caution. So we'll just have to wait and see and see how long these guys are on the list. Yeah, I mean, the, the biggest one, the most concerning one is Blackwood because you don't know if he actually got it. Yeah. And, that, and he's... you would think, you would think because he's been on there 11 days, he might have it. But I know from the beginning when he was first put on it, I know for a fact he didn't test positive. Oh, that's interesting. Um, okay. I mean, I know he's eligible to come off it, I think this week. So, and then he has yeah. to go through like medical testing and stuff to make sure everything's all right. If he did test positive. Right, but again, they get tested every day, even if they're on the list. So it, one day it could have been negative, that's true. The next day yeah. it could have been positive. So. But the fact, the fact is, like even after today's game, like we can all agree, like the Devils are four, three, and two without their starting goaltender, without the guy who's probably going to be named future captain of this team, Without another guy who's capable of running the power play and who's also good in his own end and fattening. And they were doing it without Brat as well. And, you know, Zajac and Palmieri just got added. But, like, I don't think any fan can really be mad with a – like, yeah, they, was, they were 3-1-1 one, and one, and they were off to a great start. And it's not like, you know, maybe the record should be better, but – we all knew this young team was going to face some hiccups and bumps in the road, but I think everybody can be satisfied and happy with a four, three, and two start. I mean, whatever the re- whatever the record is now. What, you look- if they can stay above, if they can just stay five hundred or above five hundred until Blackwood gets back and even Nico gets back, then I, I think you have to be happy. 
Because so, Blackwood, besides Heischer and Hughes, like Hughes and Heischer are the face of your franchise up front. But you guys know as well as I do for the 20 plus years that this team had their goaltending solidified with the greatest goalie ever. The face of the, the whole franchise and the success they have runs through the guy in net. And if they can stay very good above 500 or just say an even kill 500 until Blackwood gets back, then they got a shot here to make some noise down the stretch and at least challenge for a playoff spot and give some teams some fight every night. I agree with that. I mean, look, think about it. Like, you know, Blackwood, they're doing it without those guys, 4-3-2. and two. I mean, look, from the beginning, you know, you took 3-4 of four from Boston, then you just took 3-4 of four from Buffalo in these miniseries. Uh, you, they got two against the Islanders. Yeah, I didn't get anything against Philly, but I mean, look, you got, you, you've made some points in these mini series, so that's a good. Th- those are wins, in my opinion. And four, three, and two. I mean, you told me they're four, three, and two to start the season. I'd be like, all right, yeah, sure, I'll take that any day of the week. And and then you know, you talked about like just to rehash like the power play real quick. You talked about. Butcher being a guy that can run a power play. Well, Vontanen, once he comes back, maybe that helps the, pen- the power play a little bit too with him running it. So, I mean, look, they got options coming along, and it's a good thing. They're, they're going to get healthy soon. Um, things are, st- you know, getting bodies there. I don't forget Aaron Dell's on that list. So, you know, they'll have another backup goalie uh, around. So, you know, to me, again, the biggest point for me is I think, you know, the way Comrie played today, I think, you know, once Blackwood gets healthy, you're going to have Dell and Blackwood, and I think Comrie's going to be the guy sticking around, not Wedgwood. Yeah, I, I agree. I, you know, there's some goals, and I don't think it was Wedgwood's fault. Like yesterday, there was some that weren't his fault. Um, but there's been some goals here in these games where it's just like, okay, well, yeah. like, come on. Like the Eric Stahl one yesterday, he didn't stand a chance on it. I think there was a couple he didn't stand a chance on, but you know, you need deflection or not. And I mean, they're hard to save as a goalie just as much as a backhander is, but you, you got to have a, you got to make a save like once in a while just to keep your team from deflating and stuff. And I don't know from what I watched today. And I don't think I thought the risk aligning goal was a little, I know it was a blast from the point, but I mean, that's, that's a goal. I thought Comrie should have had, uh, the second, the Dalene goal, I don't blame him on. I think that took a deflection and it took a bounce after he let the shot go. And then I think the third, the, I thought the third goal, like the third goal was, it looked like it was a little soft in front of the net and he could have been up against his post, but I thought the defenseman could have done a better job, like getting wrist aligned out of the way because he, he's making a, from what I saw in the two games, he was making like a living in front of that net. And it was just like, okay, like, is somebody going to do something to get him out of there? But from the performance I saw at Eric Comrie today, and, you know, I was a little nervous for him starting today as much as I am with Wedgwood back there. No offense to Lenny Ruff and Scott Wedgwood, but I think Eric Comrie deserves to start Tuesday night against Pittsburgh. Yeah, I, I agree there. Is. I mean, this, I actually thought the the – was it the third goal? Yeah, the one where Ristolainen scored in front of the net. I thought that was more of a – that was the weakest goal that Comrie gave out because I, I thought, like, it was just kind of like laying on his pad. I was surprised Comrie didn't try to reach out and maybe cover up the puck there or just kind of, like, try to bat it away. That second goal, I think you're right. I think it was tipped by Curtis Lazar. It was like a redirect, so not much you could do there. Um, but, yeah, I think with the way he played today, 
I would probably go back to him on Tuesday night. I thought he was pretty solid. He made, what, 30 saves, I think, on 33 shots or something like that. Yeah, so I thought he was pretty good. Yeah, and, great. you know, his AHL numbers for his career are pretty good. He's posted like a 9-15 save percentage or higher, like three straight seasons. So and he's only 25 years old, so maybe there's something there. And, you know, maybe that's someone you can hold on to long-term past this season. So, you know, might as well give him another look. And it's not like Scott Wedgwood has been bad. I mean, he has a 901 save percentage, so, like, that's not terrible at all. And, you know, like you said, not all the goals have been Wedgwood's fault too, but, you know, Comrie played well today, so why not give him another look on Tuesday? Yeah, and there's a reason that Comrie was a second-round pick too, right, by Winnipeg. So you know the skill is there. He just – He's played 13 or 15 games in the NHL. He just hasn't really been given a shot. And I think I was talking about it last night. There's a reason that Eric Comrie was claimed by three teams in a year when he was put on waivers. Like, teams see something there. They just run out of room for him to have him on their roster. But um, going back to, um, I guess we were talking about quarterback and a power play. I guess this is a good time for us to bring up Ty Smith. Um, I don't see any reason why you take Ty Smith off that power play, though. Like, he's – somebody put a thing on social media that <laughs> P.K. Subban should take some lessons on how to hold and uh, walk the blue line from Ty Smith because Ty Smith does such an excellent job at it. But what's what's Smith have now? Nine points? In um, what do you, Did he have one or oh two? How many points did he have today? I, yeah, so he's somewhere around like two. eight or nine points. Nine, yes. ten. Then. So, so yeah. So last, okay. So last, speaking of that, so he has nine points, and I sent this to my buddy last night, who's an avalanche. Yeah, he had one. Fan. He had one point today. So he. Uh, I can't. Okay, here it is. No. Oh yeah, here it is. Here. So Ty Smith has eight points. So there's four others tied with seven. So Ty Smith with his eight point moves in tied with Jeff Petrie for fourth behind John Carlson, Kale McCarr. So Carlson and McCarr have nine points and Quinn Hughes has 11 to lead the entire NHL defenseman in scoring. So he's tied for fourth in the NHL lead yeah, he's, scoring by defense. He's going to be there for that Calder race, I so, think. I mean, well, yeah, and Ken Campbell, I think it was, tweeted out, like, as of um, the Hockey News, yeah. I believe that's who he works for, with yep. Ryan Kennedy. And um, he tweeted out, like, and a lot of people are saying Kaprizov is probably the front runner for the Calder, but he, he skated his case, and he's like, I don't see Kaprizov as a front runner. I think Ty Smith is a clear front runner right now for the Calder Trophy. And I tweeted it last night or today. Ty Smith for Calder, hashtag Ty Smith for Calder. So, um, what do you guys think? You think Ty Smith is probably right now the front runner for the Calder? If yeah, I would think so. I mean, I can uh, let's let 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 me see something here. Um, give me a minute on this. Uh, yeah, you guys can talk. I agree with that. I agree with that. Yeah, Jim. So if he keeps it up, I mean, yeah, there's. No doubt that him and Kaprizov are probably going to be in the top two. I think for now, I would probably have Kaprizov ahead of Ty Smith, but like we're not talking, there's not a big margin between these two players right now. I mean, 
Ty Smith today, I mean, the way Ruff used him, then CJ Totoro uh, pointed it out on Twitter, is like he used Ty Smith and Damon Severson in a sheltered role, and they just absolutely killed it today. They had like a 91% expected goal share when they were on the ice as a defense pair. So, like, they just absolutely dominated today. And if they keep, if Ruff keeps using him that way and just kind of keeps giving him a heavily sheltered role, I mean, that's the best way he's going to be able to succeed. Uh, especially if he's got Severson as his partner and he's getting, he looks good on the power play, even though the devil's power play itself doesn't look good. Um, yeah. I mean, if he's going to keep playing this way, he's going to be in the conversation for the Calder trophy. Yeah. So I was just looking something up on um, the, just the odds right now. And it Kaprizov's won by odds, but Ty Smith's right behind him. He moved up. Cause I know when he originally put this out, he was like a little bit down, but he's moved in. To the he's moved into that second hole right now. Yeah, that makes sense. Is there is there anything like you know, I maybe there's a couple things, but is there anything you guys want to see a little as great as Ty Smith has been to start the season? And I think I I tw- I retweeted a stat, I think it was through thirteen games that you know, Smith and Hughes had like ten or eleven points and Lafreniere and Kako had like zero through five games, but I, I'm sure it's it's more now, obviously for Hughes and uh, and Smith. But is there anything you guys want to see a little bit, maybe Ty Smith do a little bit better and a little bit more of? Or do you think he's shown there hasn't really been much really to complain about in his game so far? I think he's been solid. Um, himself. I, I think yeah, excellent. Yeah, I think he's been really good too. I mean, if they're not going to put him in – hard defensive minutes then he doesn't need to be like an elite defender which he's not right now so if they keep using him the way they that he they did today i mean obviously you want to see him improve his defensive game but i think that'll come with time as he just adds more muscle to his frame and gets bigger but that's not really a pressing concern right now i mean they're going to use him as an offensive defenseman for the time being and so like i don't i can't really think of anything that i that stands out to me where like, Oh, he's got to improve this like soon or otherwise it's going to catch up to him. As um, I know like all, we all, you know, we, we get scared of a, a rookie hitting a sophomore slump the following season, but do you think it's, would it be fair to say, I know it's only a couple games into the season and it's um a small sample size, right? For Ty Smith, but we've seen what he can do in the WHL. You know, he's won the best defenseman of the year award there a couple of years in a row. He dominated that league. He just basically did whatever he wanted on the back end, playing for Spokane. Um, do you think it's safe to say, though, that the Devils have, you know, and maybe they'll draft another one eventually because we don't know how the rest of the season's going to play out and then down the road. But do you think it's safe to say that the Devils have probably found uh, – most likely he's going to turn into a legit superstar defenseman for this team moving forward. Yes. I think he could be a, a legit superstar defenseman for this team. Something that they've desperately needed for a, a long time, probably since, you know, Brian Rafalski left, you know, Scott Niedermeyer, that type thing. I'm not going to, now let, let's hold back a little bit. I'm not comparing him to Scott Niedermeyer, but you know, he could be on that level. Um, and he could be the guy that they've, they can anchor the defense around finally. I mean, they've been looking for that guy for how long? Um, so he's playing well. He's looking good, and his development's right there. So, um, yeah, I think he can be that player. Yeah, I agree there. I think, like, 
I don't know if he'll be like a true like you know number one defenseman like Eric Carlson or you know Brent Burns could be, but like he could be like your a legit number two who's playing you know twenty plus minutes a night time on special teams. Uh, I don't know if he'll ever be a great penalty killer, but he'll definitely be able to quarterback a power play. Uh, yeah, I think he could be the best defenseman the Devils have had in a very long time. Um, so we like the, the emergence of Smith and Hughes this year is definitely, and the other kids is a sign that, you know, we've been through some struggles with this team as fans um, for the last basically since after that 2012 playoff run besides the one run to the playoffs that was surprising um i think it's safe to say for all the fans listening that this team is finally starting to turn a corner slowly but surely and you know the better things are to come for this team moving forward like it's gonna take time like give it like two to three maybe four years and i think you're gonna see some pretty good results from this team moving forward like we talked about Jack Hughes earlier with that top line, but, you know, the three of us have talked about this before. He's only 19 years old, and he's already looks like he's taken a step even further in the direction. How good is he going to be when he's 23 I mean, he could – yeah, yeah, go ahead, Jim. I mean, that's crazy. Yeah, no, I was just going to say he's he's going to be a lot better than he is now. I mean, he he's the most improved player in the National Hockey League right now. Just think what he's going to be at 23 when he puts on more size and, and he's you know, learns the NHL game even more. I mean, this kid to me feels like he's not going to just, you know, go in the offseason and be like, oh, I'm satisfied with this. He's going to want to improve every year. And that's what you want out of your, your star players. You don't want them to just to be satisfied. You want them to be, I need to improve this part of my aspect of my game. I need this. I need this. I need this. And I think he's going to do that. And by 23 – he could be in a running for, you know, Art Ross trophies and Hart trophies and stuff like that. Yep, I pretty much agree there. I mean, he's already at a point per game. I think this season are very close to it, and he's not even at his prime. And I'm sure he'll, he's 19 years old. He'll probably go through some cold stretches at some point this season. But, like, yeah, well, especially when the team gets better in the next couple of years and he's got some, you know, guys like Alexander Holtz and Dawson Mercer in the lineup. Um, yeah, I mean, the sky is really the limit. This He's going to be anchoring he's going to be the future of this franchise you know for the next decade at least um you know before we uh let's get into vatten first and and i want to talk about butcher again and then i want to and then i want to kind of lightly discuss um the fitzgerald situation again and then a little bit of you know, some of the guys last night that I, we've heard have requested a, a trade. So let's talk about Vatanen first. So, uh, Jim, you want to start us off? All right. So Vatanen? everybody knows, you know, Sammy Vatanen's back in town. He's in Newark. He's going through the COVID, you know, protocol to come back in. And he's been, a, he's been, he's a guy that's been here before. And, and the Devils could use a solid defenseman on, and, on, and, and he's just going to bring more depth to, to this team. I mean, look. Will Butcher right now is, you know, up in a press box. But, you know, Botnin's back, and then he solidifies one side. And then, you know, another thing is, you know, say we have more COVID problems, look out. 
you know, that's why Tennyson's still here. You know, then you get bringing Carrick and Botnin. So he's he knows he knows this organization. He doesn't know this system, but this system's gonna help his game offensively and which will help the Devils in turn. Yeah, I think where Botnin's really gonna help is on special teams. Uh, I would assume he's gonna get power play minutes uh when he he joins the lineup and then Vatnin, you know, played on the penalty kill quite a bit when he was with the Devils, and he was pretty good at it. So I think he'll probably end up I, – I would think he'd be able to make a little bit of a difference for the penalty kill when he gets in the lineup. So I think that's where he's going to be able to help the most because he doesn't offer much at even strength. I think he'll just end up being a third-pair defenseman with, I guess at this point, probably Kulikov, which would be a nice little third pair there. But – um yeah, I think where he's really going to be able to help is the devil uh, help the Devils is on special teams. And that's where yeah. he's had success before with this team, though, right? Like his um, his ability to move the puck up and you know set up on the point on the power play. You know, he's got a hell of a shot too, and he wants to use it whether it's his wrist shot, snap shot, or slap shot, and his passing ability. So, I mean, and there's familiarity there. So you know he's he's not gonna have he doesn't really have to worry about trying to adjust because he he's played for this team. I know it's a different coach and whatnot, so he might have to adjust a bit. But I don't think he's gonna have any trouble adjusting to Lindy Ruff's system. And you know maybe Lindy Ruff will bring out the best of Sammy Vatnin um, moving forward here because I mean he did that. Obviously Klingberg's a different in a different whole different class than Vatnin, but you know. It's, goes to show you Lindy Ruff wherever he goes he brings out the best in young players and older players so I mean we'll see what Vatnin can do under him um I guess there's not really much to discuss on him yet because he hasn't played yet but I mean you're gonna see I think the positive of Vatnin coming back is you're probably gonna see Tennyson get out of the lineup so I think that's that's a positive and it's all right there but moving on like once again like before we get into Fitzgerald, um, like Will Butcher just can't buy himself into this lineup. Like when I turned the game on, I seen there was going to be multiple lineup changes. I was looking on the ice. I'm going, oh, hey, maybe Butcher will get in the lineup today. And it's like, nope, just another day in the hot seat in the press box. But it's like, okay, so seriously, is something lefty-righty here? Like, is there something that you see in a physical thing in Tennyson that Butcher doesn't bring? Like, did he show up out of shape in the, like, training camp? Is there something that happened there? Like, what what does Lindy Ruff not like about Will Butcher's game that's causing him to sit in the press box? And, you know, this... The Butcher question I have that, like, I think I said it on the last podcast, and I'll say it again, because... This will kind of be sort of like mixed in. I guess we can mix in the other ones here and there. Like Victor Mete's asked for a trade at a Montreal because he hasn't played yet. Sam Bennett's asked for a trade at a Calgary because he's not getting the ice time he thinks he deserves. And how much longer here are we going to be asking this question? How much longer before Will Butcher finally has enough and he says, you know what? I signed here out of college. I had success my first year. I don't think I had a little bit of a rough year because of an injury. I bounced back a bit. And then all of a sudden now I'm sitting in the press box and I can't even get ice time because Matt Tennyson's playing in the ice and he's probably going to get scratched from that and then comes back. But how much longer do I go? And you can't take Kulikov out right now because he's played very uncomfortably. He's played very well. So I, 
how much longer does Butcher's patience go before he says, you know what, I've had enough of this like crap. I'm going to say, I'm going to Fitzgerald and management and like trade me somewhere where I'm going to play. That's a good question. Um, it's got to come soon, you would think, if he doesn't get into the lineup within the next week or so. I would think he's going to be like, look, if, uh, if I'm not getting in this lineup and I just signed here out of college and I wanted to be here and you guys want to be here, you got to explain to me what Matt Tennyson is doing that I'm not doing. Yeah. Yeah, go ahead. Because, because to me, Matt Tennyson shouldn't be in this lineup. Defensively, no way. What, is, what, is, what do they love in this guy? that butcher couldn't bring and he definitely would help the power play the way he's quarterback. We, we know he can score power play goals and get assists. So I don't know what Matt Tennyson is doing, but that's a conversation that butcher and the coach need to figure out because he needs to be in this lineup. Yeah, Alex, I think I'll, I'm going to let you go in on this here in a second, but I think like, if people look back on Lindy Ruff's coaching days in Dallas, I don't know if he scratched a defenseman. I don't know if Essel Lindell was there yet or Honka was there just yet. Maybe they were, but I know Lindy Ruff was famous in Dallas. He would continue to play Roman Polak an awful lot because he thought he brought a physical presence. So like, is that the reason why Tennyson's playing here? Like he wasn't good when he was in Buffalo. Um, he hasn't been good since he came to New Jersey. I am I, I am I missing something here? Like this, the Tennyson situation to me feels a lot like years ago when this team would play Matt Taramina or Mike Motto an awful lot, and it was just like, why are these guys continuing to see ice time? They are horrible. Or Matt Corrente when they were playing for this team years and years and years ago. It's just, I don't understand what this coaching staff sees. Is it because the team is winning somewhat and they're having success? I think the reason they're not playing Butcher is because, I I mean, obviously he's one of the team's six best defensemen just based on talent. But I think Ruff doesn't view Butcher as a, a good fit for his system. You need to be able to skate and well to be in rough system as a defenseman and one thing butcher doesn't have working for him is the skating ability so uh i think that's i mean i thought i saw rough say you know either yesterday or a couple days ago in in an interview that he he thought matt tennyson brings like a physical presence to the lineup but i don't really think that's true um i just think they he doesn't really see butcher as the right fit for his system because he can't skate well and you know, I think that's what it really boils down to. That's just me speculating. Obviously, I don't know, but it, I mean, that's the best reason I could come up with at this point. And some coaches, once you're in their doghouse and you don't fit their system, it's it's not going to work. It's not going to change around. Once they have their um, their mind made up on you, there's no going back on yeah. it. The only way you're getting into the lineup is if somebody gets injured. And, and you know what? It's an awful sh- – if this is the end of Will Butcher in New Jersey, again, I was I was as hyped as anybody when he signed with the team at a college because he was dynamite in college. Like, And the fact that Colorado let him go 
you know, he didn't want to sign there. And it was like Kerfoot didn't want to sign here. And Kerfoot turned into a half-decent player to the Leafs, right? And, you know, maybe that's one that got away. But it's, you know, Butcher did good his first couple years here. And it didn't, it hasn't worked out, you know, since. He's had some injury issues. But if this is the way that it ends for him with this team, then it's it's a bittersweet ending because it shouldn't have had to end this way. He should have had to play and then, you know, come the trade deadline or something. If they're not, if they're out of it, they trade him and they get something for him. But I would have thought you'd want to play him if you are going to trade him and see if you can get his value up a tad to maybe get something for him. But if you're just going to sit in the press box, you're not going to get much for him. That's yeah, that's why I don't understand but, if, like, if if they want to – I don't know. If, I think if he's not going to play, then – if he's not going to play, then like his trade values just there's no, they're not going to get what they should get for him. So like I, I don't really understand like if he requests a trade, they're going to just have to hang on to him because uh, what do you get for him at this point? So I don't know. It's a, it's a weird situation, that's for sure. Very weird, very very weird situation. Um. Like I was telling you the other night, you know, when you asked me about this, that, you know, possibly there could be a trade coming along. But, again, you got to figure out who and where you're going to trade them to, where you're going to get back on. But then if you do trade them and they have a COVID issue, then you're down a defenseman that you could put into the lineup. Yeah. So that's why, if I don't know, yeah, like right. you brought up Victor so... Mete before, but, like, obviously he'd be – he, I think he'd be a good fit for the Devils because, yeah, he's on the smaller size. He's only like five foot nine, five foot ten, or whatever. But he's a really good skater and he's effective at moving the puck. And he'd be—he's only twenty-two years old, also, even though he's been in the NHL for like three seasons already. But he's only twenty-two, so he's more of a long-term solution than someone like Kulikov would be, you know. Um, and Tennyson, of course. So I don't know. Maybe that's something the Devils kind of consider here obviously the Habs don't need to trade Mete right away but um I I mean it's definitely worth a look if you're Tom Fitzgerald well another guy that's probably worth a look is Vince Dunn yeah him too I just think Vince Dunn's probably going to be a little bit too expensive for what the Devils would have to give be willing to give up which is why maybe Mete could be a better fit for them I mean Dunn is definitely the better player than Mete but Mete is a pretty good player in himself, even though he, he doesn't put up points, but he's an effective puck mover. And, you know, I think he'd be a good fit for what the Devils kind of need on that back end. I agree with that for sure. I think, you know, we haven't really seen a lot of Mete either because of, you know, the situation in Montreal. Right. Because he just can't get into the lineup. Same with like Butcher. But personally, you know, again, if they want to make a trade for him, I'm, I'm okay with it. Yeah, absolutely, because I think Vince Dunn would – he would upgrade the defense on this team, and he's still young. Um, moving on to Fitzgerald, um, Elliot Friedman said last night on the Saturday headlines that uh, the Devils um, have no – absolutely no interest in giving Pittsburgh permission to talk to Fitzgerald. Uh, they're not going to give them permission – which I thought was interesting after all the, you know, speculation and stuff that's come out about Fitzgerald. But um, what do you guys think about that? 
They say he's a big part of the future moving Yeah, I mean, that's team, no surprise. So. I mean, you got to figure after what he did at last season's trade deadline, which is crazy. It's almost like uh, a year ago at this point. But, uh, yeah, when he did at last season's trade deadline with getting Nolan Foot for Blake Coleman and a first-round pick, of course, that turned into Shakir. I think, was that Shakir or Dawson Mercer? Either way, they ended up getting one of those two guys with that first-round pick, and then he acquired Andreas Janssen and Ryan Murray, who's been fantastic for the Devils so far. So he's done some good things, and he seems to have a, a much different mindset than Ray Sherrill did, um, just based off the moves he's made. So, yeah, I mean, I know he's got this weird structure with his contract where he's only the GM for one year, but I would assume that's going to change at some point soon. So, um, yeah, I mean, he's. I'm not surprised the Devils didn't give the Penguins permission to interview him because if they did, then... I think you could have probably said goodbye to Fitzgerald. He probably would have been the Pittsburgh uh, Penguins' next GM. Yeah, I agree with that. I mean, yeah, hundred percent. I mean, there's the- no reason to let this guy go, considering what he did and what he's probably going to continue to do with this team. Obviously, obviously, they want him here for a reason because he has a long-term contract with them. But again, it's only—it's weird that it was only one year as a GM. But the fact of the matter is that his name keeps being brought up in GM job after GM job after GM job means that he's doing something right. So the Devils have something good in there. It's just going to be interesting to see, do they give him another year or two as a GM or, or are they still looking for somebody outside this organization to bring in as the general manager of this team? Yeah, so yeah, I don't, I don't think, and I don't think Fitzgerald's, uh, he's not going anywhere. That was the smartest decision this team probably could have made was giving him the GM job. Um, before we wrap this up, um, did you guys hear Lindy Ruff's comment after today's game? Game interview. No, I didn't see what did he say. Yeah, what did he say? Yeah, Lindy, uh. Nick, uh, Nick Villano of Pucks and Pitchforks tweeted out uh, just over an hour ago at about five minutes after four. Uh, Lenny Ruff went out of his way to mention that New Jersey Devils missing empty in brackets, empty nets. <laughs> have to think he's talking about a certain six overall. Well, the problem is they have too many players the on the COVID list, so Pavel Zaka is going to have to keep playing for now. But, you know, once Nico and Zajac and all these guys get back, uh, and with the way Mikey McLeod's playing, I got to think Zaka is the odd man out if he doesn't step up sometime soon. I agree with that 100%. Like I texted and I said in the video today and I put it out there. If the Devils had lost this game, the TSN turning point would have been that missed empty net goal. Yeah. Because it that would have been 3 nothing. I don't see that. I wouldn't have seen the Sabres coming back from that. But... You missed the net, you know, and then they get two goals, but then, you know, the fourth line figures it out, and they, they win the game, but you got to hit the net because they set it up perfectly. Yeah, I mean, Kwokunen made such a nice pass to him. I don't know if he was caught by surprise from that Kwokunen pass because, I mean, it, the, he just gave it, it was like basically a one-two touch, and he gave it right back to Zaka, and the net was wide open, and maybe it caught Zaka by surprise. I have no idea. 
Um, that was, I mean, the game completely flipped after that. I mean, the Buffalo Sabres scored and tied up the game, what, like five, ten minutes after that? So, I mean, if you're not converting on chances like that, you're, you're not going to win Lindy Ruff over, that's for sure. Um, you know, before I know this is that this, so this, I know this is a devil's podcast oh, no. <laughs> and we talk mostly about strictly the devils. Um, but hang on. I just found, I just got, is it, is it in regards to our buddy across um, the river that just got waved today? Yeah, I had a feeling. Oh yeah. And this is a, this is a dandy. So as you guys know, Tony D'Angelo started a fight with Alex. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I saw that. Time lost to Pittsburgh. A miscommunic, a miscommunic over a miscommunication between the two that led to the OT winner. Uh, Dave, yeah, Dave I saw that. At Blue Seat Blogs tweeted at three forty-five that it's rumored that Chris Kreider stepped in and absolutely <laughs> drilled Tony oh, in the face. So I mean, I I hate the Rangers as much as you guys do and the Flyers, but I don't know if Chris Kreider stepped in to punch that guy Tony D'Angelo, who I can't stand in the face. <laughs> I just gained a crap I mean, ton of respect. I will say Kreider. that a friend of mine, um, who I jump on a lot of his shows with, texted me saying that yeah, there there was something went down between D'Angelo and uh, and Gorgiev, but he couldn't confirm who the the guy that stepped in and punched him in the face was i mean if it's Kreider, heck good for him um but it's funny because you know i saw i think rick capuano put something out there said um you know it's if this wouldn't have been a situation if d'angelo was playing well because like his head he's been a headache in the locker room because of what you know his off ice antics have been if he was playing well, I don't think it's a big deal. It gets magnified more when you're not playing well. And sim- we've seen similar situations in different sporting leagues with this. So we're not going to get too, too much detail about it. Cause, um, but, look, you, eventually this was coming. You knew it was coming. Yeah. Yeah. The only, the only thing I'll say on the matter is, is Georgiev was probably, you know, whether – Nobody knows whether his, you know, his whatever, his politic views or whatever crap he posts on his social media has to do with anything. Maybe it has something to do with it because they're in the bright lights in New York. I don't know. That's behind closed doors. Nobody knows. But I can tell you, I think this whole miscommunication between D'Angelo and wherever D'Angelo has gone since his days in Sarnia, he's been a cancer in the dressing room. That's a fact. That's a foregone conclusion. I know that for a fact. Um because I know a guy who's actually played a bit of junior hockey with him and coming up with him. So I know from people I've talked to, he's been nothing but a head case wherever he's been. But I think the whole Georgiev situation, I don't want to elaborate on it too much because, you know, we're not we're not Rangers fans and this isn't really a Rangers podcast. But I read it. I thought it was interesting. I thought it would share. But Tony D'Angelo was on the ice for four of the friggin' five goals the Rangers gave up last night. So maybe Georgiev was just saying to him, like, holy yeah. hell, man. Like, fuck, do something I think it to was help totally, me out Yeah, here. sorry, Drake. Go ahead. Like, you're killing me. And then the only thing – I feel like the – like, you know, excuse my language <laughs> and stuff because, you know, maybe there's kids listening to this. I don't know. But I feel like Georgiev went down the hallway, was smashing a stick or something like that, and D'Angelo came over, might have said something smart to him, 
And he probably turned back to him and said, fuck you. Like, you were on the ice for four of the friggin' five goals against. Like, you didn't do much tonight to help me. And then they probably got into an altercation. And then one thing led to another. Kreider stepped in, punched him in the face. Georgiev probably swung his blockers, stick at him. And then next thing you know, he's on waivers today. And he's probably not going to get traded. His career's probably over by the sounds of things. And the Rangers are just going to buy him out. So, I mean, that's, I think, where that thing's headed. Um, and, you know, everybody hyped up that team this year. And since he's been on that roster at the beginning of the year, they've just – they've had no success whatsoever. Like, it's just – so I don't know. Sometimes that happens, though. Like, and this could be in regard – this could be the same thing said for this team moving forward. If you get enough skill – and, you know, the Rangers got some skill over there on that roster. I'll get, I'll give them credit on that. I hate to give them the benefit of the doubt on some things. But they have enough skill on that team. But sometimes when you got too much skill, heads butt and things go south fast because everybody wants to be the guy. And everybody wants to be the vocal person on the team. And I just think that they're running into problems over there. Like, I, you know, they sped up the rebuild a bit over there. Good for them. They got Kapo Kaku, who looks like absolute junk right now. Lafreniere, you know, he's going to be fine. He doesn't look good this year, but, you know, Jack Hughes didn't look good last year either. So, but, you know, it's the way it is. New York's a lot – the bright lights in New York is a lot different than the lights in New Jersey. Let's just it's face like, it. There's it's less like the media. Bright there's less Toronto, pressure. Right? <laughs> but, that's right. Some guys – Toronto is where guys – some guys go, and then as soon – and they can't handle it, and as soon as they leave, they're – careers take off it's just the way that some guys can handle the bright yeah, lights exactly some guys that can't. is sports it's it's exactly right sports though it's sports and everybody says you know it's like with the yankees you know this jake some guys can play in new york some guys can't that's right so i guess you know we'll, we'll sign her off on that note um Maybe if we can't do another one of these after Tuesday night, um, you know, maybe we'll do it Wednesday or we'll do it. Uh, we'll do a quick one Thursday night um, after the Penguins game either way. Cause um, you know, it's back to back with Pittsburgh and then cause I got to, hopefully we can do it Tuesday after the game and then Thursday after the game. Cause I got an early friggin' morning Friday. Nice. Cause my daughter and my wife are finally coming home. So this week, so. So, um, appreciate you guys coming on and doing this. Um, I guess until next time. Let's go, Devil. With the first pick overall, the New Jersey Devils are brought to select from the U.S. program, Jack Hughes.